www.wru.org. Support for WERU health-related programming comes from the Penobscot Bay Press, committed to providing community news and information, publishing three weekly newspapers, the Weekly Packet, Island Advantages, the Castine Patriot, the annual Bay Community Register, the Summer Seasonal Guide, and more. Also on the web at www.penobscotbaypress.com. It's 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill and streaming online around the world at WERU.org. Healthy Options with your host Rhonda Feynman is up next. Hi, um, I'm Rhonda Feynman. This is Healthy Options. It's Wednesday, June 2nd. And our, we have a great guest today. Dirk Vandersloot um, is a, an MD. He's been utilizing homeopathy since 1983. He's um, done this as part of a family medicine practice, but now he's a full-time homeopathic consultant. He's studied at the um, with uh, with uh, Catherine Coulter for two years. He's been um, working with the National Center for Homeopathy. He's a medical uh, doctor from UCLA, and um, he's been in practice here in the Mid-Coast for quite a while, and he also includes uh, meditation and Reiki in his practice. And um, I want to welcome Dirk Vandersloot right here. Well, thank you, Rhonda. Nice to uh, have you with us. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, so um, let's, you know, many of us are very familiar with homeopathy. Some people aren't. Maybe we could just start a little bit at the beginning. Okay. And, um, and just describe a little bit about what homeopathy is and, and what, what that involves, and we'll, we'll go into great, greater detail, but okay. just kind of a good overview. Well, the word means, uh, homeopathy is a Greek word. Uh, homeo means like, empathic disease. So the, the principle behind homeopathy is that like cures like, that if you give a medicine, it's called a remedy in homeopathy, that uh, creates a certain set of symptoms when taken in certain amounts, that it can cure those symptoms when that substance is highly diluted. The closest we come to that in conventional kind of medicine are vaccines that evoke a response from the immune system by giving a very similar antigen. Uh, as to what you're trying to protect yourself against. So homeopathy evokes a change uh, in the person's total uh, picture to respond and heal what is uh, symptomatic. So it uses the notion that the total symptom picture is important. A remedy is chosen that matches that totality, which is a very important concept in homeopathy. And then the unwinding of the of the old patterns that, that come as symptoms is very noticed by the patient, oftentimes over time, not necessarily right away as you might expect uh, when you take a conventional medicine to stop a symptom or a group of symptoms. This uh, modality, homeopathy, is a way to work with what's going on, and sometimes it unwinds uh, over, over some days or weeks or even months. So it's, a, it's an attempt at working with what the body and mind are expressing rather than opposing it. So uh, um, 
the homeopathic remedy, we're talking about a remedy, is something that you're, as a, as a skilled practitioner, working to match with a, a client. What, what does that involve? Well, the first thing it involves is a very good observatory case-taking, where you observe the person, even as they're coming in the room, uh, what their characteristics are, and then as you, as you listen, and it requires a lot of listening, to what the client or patient is saying about what they're experiencing. Um, it could be very physical, it could be more of a general nature, or it could be mental and emotional. And you're looking for the patterns that that person is experiencing in those symptoms. For instance, if my headache occurs when I'm lying down but gets better when I stand up or is worse in the morning but better at night, those are important characteristics to a homeopath because how the symptoms change for the person uh, is an important um, marker in identifying what that proper remedy would be that would match, again, not just that one symptom, but the whole person who has those symptoms. So let's talk about this further because this is, this is really um, of, of great interest. It's the, it's the idea that, um, that there, is, there is some substance, there is something out there that can resonate with an individual uh, based on the whole picture, not just their symptoms, but looking at the whole person. Would, would you say that's true? Or? Yes, and I liked your use of the word resonate. Um, that's, that's, that's kind of a, uh, a concept that is gaining more and more understanding as I think as we look more at the holistic paradigm. That resonance, whether it be with a homeopathic remedy or with a movie or with a person or with a book, <laughs> right. uh, evokes from that person uh, a state, a different state than they were in. And, of course, what homeopathy tries to resonate with is what's in the way of a person's natural state of being, which is very vital, very creative, very loving. Um, but most people don't know that about themselves. They know that they're sick or not quite right. Right. And that's what they want help with. And so the intention there, again, is to resonate with that symptom picture, which really does get back, interestingly enough, this is a, another interesting thing, to the source of the problem so that the expression of a problem reflects the source. And when you resonate with the totality of what's externally felt by a person, you're actually taking care of where it comes from. So tell me, where did these substances come from? What is the Materia Medica for a homeopath? Yeah. What? Well, it's, it's, it's wonderful. It's one of the things I really love about homeopathy. It embraces uh, all the realms, the animal realm, the mineral realm, the herbal or plant realm, it uses remedies are also can be derived from or made from uh, what we would normally consider to be uh, diseased tissue also, can be very powerful um, helps in healing. So uh, all the milks of all the mammals, uh, insects, uh, plants, uh, leaves and flowers, um, mineral on the, minerals on the periodic table, are all resources of homeopathic remedies. There are even remedies made, uh, interestingly enough, uh, from electricity, from fire, uh, they're even from sunlight, moonlight. They're, there's, those are called imponderable remedies. So homeopathy makes use of the full spectrum of what's available to us. And, and, how would a, and, and then there are aspects of, of those substances that have characteristics. For instance, how would you know to use 
moonlight. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this involves what's called approving. In homeopathy, Ah. they're called proving. If you were in conventional medicine, you would call them drug tests. Uh There There are phases of drug tests that are called trials, drug trials. In homeopathy, they're called provings. And approving consists of the accumulated... Uh, experience of a number of people who simultaneously take what for them would be an unknown substance, but the person who's administering the, the proving knows what it is. And so the people experience upon taking it uh, a number of different mental, emotional, and physical symptoms over time. Those are then collated together so that the common symptoms experienced by the people are the most dominant characteristics of what that remedy would treat, and then so on. So it actually mirrors the human experience of taking whatever substance it might be. So, for instance, if I were to take belladonna, which comes from a plant, Mm -hmm. in its material form, I would get high fever, red face, dilated pupils, splitting headache. It would be a toxicity from that that, The uh, the plant. Now, you would take the same in another room. Uh, you might have a slightly different experience than me overall, but you might still have the headache, the, the, the fever, and the dilated pupil. So that would become the common theme of that remedy uh, physically. So now if I see a child who comes into the office with dilated pupils and red face and a splitting headache, whether it's an ear infection, by the way, or a throat infection, the remedy belladonna will help that child uh, improve dramatically because that's what the child is showing as a picture that mm-hmm. equates with belladonna. And of course, we know in the Materia Medica that's what you would use even yes. as a plant in in a different way. You would use it for that yes. kind of presentation. Right. Uh, but uh, one more thing I want to say about yes, that. Yes, please. First, the 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 provings are on uh, these substances, and then once you get the information, what happens then with the remedy is that it is highly diluted. It's, it's, it's broken down into a very energetic state, so to speak. Not broken down, but it's diluted into a place where it's not toxic. And it's more like a vaccine, evocative of a chain, change. It wouldn't impose one. It would evoke one. So it's not like you're taking a toxic substance when you take a, a homeopathic remedy, even though if it were taken in material form over time, it would be. Mm-hmm. So... That is such an interesting concept for our Western minds, Mm. that less is more. Imagine that. Um, (laughs) Let's just ponder that for a moment, everyone. Uh, If you're driving, please be very mindful because, you know, less is more. Okay. (laughs) Right, 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 right. Don't hurt yourself. And the words that are used, like potency selections, kind of reinforce that kind of odd idea that that the more you refine something, the more powerful it can be. Of course, we have that in physics with atoms, and if you, you know, the atom bomb comes from splitting that very minute atom. So we know what can be very powerful from very small things. Well, vaccines themselves have been remarkable in in what they can do to prevent disease uh, with very small amounts of substances. But homeopathy, I would say, takes it to another level in that sense. That's right. And, and the less measurable, almost the more powerful? Well, I like to equate it, the metaphor I like to use uh, is the idea in an architect's mind, as the metaphor, is very refined. The house that's built that comes from that idea is very solid, physical. 
but it comes from the resource of it is the idea in the mind of the architect. And when you highly dilute remedies, you're getting much more back down into that refined place where things come from. So if the roof leaks on a house, you can patch the roof and, and prevent the leak at that moment, but until you change the design, it's still going to have, be a problem over time. So homeopathy is an effort to kind of work on that level. That's why it's more, more powerful, because just a, a change in the pencil line of a, of a design changes everything in terms of how that house is built. No question. So, uh, you know, th this is just the idea that less is more, mm -hmm. that by encouraging that resonance, going back to mm -hmm. that idea of resonance, that we're actually encouraging the body to get in, would you say, in a, a, a balanced state so that any kind of, I, I don't want to mix metaphors here, but, you know, where does the idea of, of infection, disease, uh, mm -hmm. ba bacteria, you know, yep. how does that yep. interplay with all this? Well, the, the notion in homeopathy is that when a person's susceptibility, we call it, you could think of it in terms of some kind of, it's not really weakness per se, but it's a place where you could be affected by something. Uh. So you have what's called a susceptibility, a tendency towards something. You will encounter the trigger for that in your life because all of us have to heal. What's, this is the notion of homeopathy. I have to heal what in me needs healing, and I'll know that it needs healing when my susceptibility gets triggered by something, and then I'll know, and it comes from deep within me. Now, bacteria and viruses and so on, infectious disease, fulfill that kind of idea. Of, you know, that's why 10 kids in the room will get strep and 10 won't, because right. 10 are susceptible and 10 are not. Okay. Now, there are epidemics where there is, is the, the common susceptibility, and we have common susceptibilities. Uh, that, that are um, fulfilled in people, you will get what are called epidemics. Right. But you can see the concept of why some people get some things and some people don't, because their susceptibility is not, is not there at that moment. Mm. So in homeopathy, we have two levels of prescribing. One is for the acute illness, let's say in this case an acute infection, a cold or a flu, uh, with the, a remedy that would match the, the kind of totality of that flu-like syndrome in that person. And then the deeper kind of prescribing has to do with what I just mentioned, the susceptibility. We call that constitutional prescribing, where you look at the whole person's past, present, their ideas about the future, their history of physical ailments, but also how they're doing psychologically and mentally. And you put all that together in, in a single picture called a constitutional. And that's meant to be more kind of long-term, deeper uh, eliciting of a person's natural health. It doesn't mean that people won't get sick, but it'll mean that they'll be able to course through it quicker. They'll be more freed up on the other end of it. Because disease could be looked at in that way as kind of a, a cleansing, a working through something. And if you can work with that, you can help a person get dynamically better in their life. So would you say, uh, you earlier you, you spoke of things shifting probably over a little bit of time. And yeah. um, in the constitutional, you're, would you be seeing, um, could you actually see an aggravation of something? And, and then, and th which might scare somebody. Mm -hmm. You know, how do you mm -hmm. work with that as, as you're working to get mm -hmm. to that deeper mm -hmm. healing? 
Well, you raise a good point about aggravations. That's a good question. That, by the way, that's just not with constitutional prescribing. But you can also get aggravations with acute mm-hmm. prescribing too. Um, aggravations show a homeopath that the remedy may be very, very close to what's what's actually needed to have that person respond. Typically, if an aggravation occurs, which remember is intensification of the current symptoms that the person has, you stop the remedy at that point. And the person, if it is the right remedy, that person will get better after the aggravation, like a boil coming to a head Mm. before it gets better. That can happen, um, not you know, not routinely. Does that happen? And of course, no one wants that to happen. Mm But any, anything that's been kind of held underground, so to speak, that's met with the remedy can kind of uh, push up forcibly, almost like a little bit of, a, of an earthquake that is responding to the pressure underneath and gets released. But it's also a sign that you're on the right track. And if you can hang in there and let things, and you can support yourself as you go through something like that, with such as acupuncture and mm-hmm. diet and meditation and so on, you can allow the aggravation, if it's not too strong, work itself out. Mm. I just, I just want to let that sit for a moment. I just want to tell people who've just tuned in that we're, uh, this is Healthy Options. You're listening to uh, Dirk Vandersloot. He's an MD. He's been utilizing homeopathy since 1983 and is in a private practice at, um, in Rockland um, doing homeopathic consulting and also... You also work with uh, Vipassana, Insight Meditation, mm-hmm. and, and Reiki. How do those all inter, interface um, with this idea of the energetic mm-hmm. resonance of the work you do with homeopathy? Well, I think it fits in beautifully. Uh, and there are a number of other modalities that fit in beautifully. We might be able to discuss a more expanded sure. view of that question. But, you know, meditation is a way of getting in touch with your moment, what's, what you in the moment are experiencing and feeling and thinking. It's a way to be mindful. So it's, it's a way to not only uh, be in touch with what's going on right now, but it also can, in its own way, be very relaxing and uh, releasing. So it provides a dual purpose, as far as I'm concerned, meditation that is, in that it gets people in touch with themselves uh, and their symptoms and allows them to be good observers. At the same time, it can be very much, as many of us know right all along here, a stress reducer. Um, it, can, it can by itself help a person heal because you're no longer in resistance. You no longer are struggling against something. You're allowing things to work themselves out. Energetically speaking, that can be a very powerful, talk about less is more, just putting attention on something without resisting it can allow it to heal. People oftentimes, I've experienced that myself. <laughs> I can put my attention onto a discomfort in my neck or head and have that with kind of a spacious listening to it, have it release or, or resolve itself very simply, very easily. As far as Reiki is concerned, energetically, you know, Reiki is a it means universal life force, Reiki, it's a Japanese term. It's a kind of energetic body work, with, it's, it's, it's a hands-on, but it's not a manipulative type of work. It's a balancing kind of work where the energy of the practitioner is kind of channeled and the person who's receiving it is part of the loop and that connection helps things move. I would imagine much in the same way that acupuncture Mm -hmm. might help energy to move and and shift in response to that. 
And I see that Reiki and meditation and homeopathy can work beautifully together, um, as it can with other modalities. So um, what this, by creating an, an entire um, energetic package, as it were, uh-huh. um, I would think that the remedies, you could really get an even more fine-tuned uh, idea of what someone needs if they're, if all of these other aspects are, are in place because mm-hmm. the energetic body, as it were, is, is, is awakening or right. is more evident. And it can save time in that regard. I yes. mean, when you take a remedy, what you're doing is, in a way is to catalyze a change that would otherwise have to take a longer period of time. You're shortening the time that it takes for something to resolve. If it happens immediately, we call those things miracles. <laughs> <laughs> and people have those. Sure. People will call up occasionally and say, that was like a miracle. Right. It's not really a miracle per se. It has its reasons for it, I would say. I don't know. That, that, that's up for discussion, I guess. Who knows? Who knows? There's a mystery in there. But it's, it's, it can be very quick. But on the other hand, it can actually be over time. Now, typically, for instance, if a person has had a chronic illness, over, say, five years, it would take some months to work through that, typically. Yes. Typically. Right. So the but, longer someone's had something, the more yes. entrenched. It's, right. it's like that in, in any modality. Right. Um, but I wouldn't let that be an absolute statement. That's right. It, it, who right. knows? Uh, things can that's shift right. dramatically even in that situation. That's right. For whatever reason, something's holding. Yeah. And I also want to point out, and I do this all the time on my show, because as we discuss things that are happening in an inner way, there's sometimes a warped idea of, uh, I think, (laughs) I'll show my judgment right there, (laughs) this idea of of someone creating their illness or creating their discomfort or somehow blaming, you know, Mm -hmm. and and I I always caution about that, and I I assume Mm -hmm. you would as well in your your work. Well, I think the whole idea of what we talked about a few minutes ago about susceptibility, where my susceptibilities get met, by yes. something, uh, then something arises that is consistent with what I have to learn. I say that's learning. I don't say it's blaming. Right. I say it's, it's something that I have to uh, respond to in a way to, to learn something about myself and the world and who I am. Um, so in that sense, I would say we're all in our uh, journeys, on our journeys together in a healing way, and it's, I'm not the victim of it. At the same time, I am uh, the participant in it, is what I call it. Right. So there's a responsibility in some way, but not blame. <laughs> right, right. Does that make sense? I, that's, uh, how yes. I see, that's how I see it. I, I think, it, I think that, that's, that's very good, and I always like to, to talk about that as we talk about different modalities. We talked about aggravations. We talked about how homeopathy works. And it's interesting. We talk about um, a remedy. Yeah. A remedy, you know, if you go, uh, and I do, I know you are a trained uh, physician as well, and I yeah. do want to talk about how you work with that in your own mm-hmm. mind and your own paradigm mm-hmm. about how mm-hmm. these kinds of things come together. Because I, what I was thinking of is, you know, you go and you get an antibiotic. No one says, here's your antibiotic remedy. Here's your medicine. Here's yeah, <laughs> right, right. And those kinds of languages even about how we, mm-hmm. how we talk about what we're doing. Mm-hmm. How well, there you... is a there is a, a I think a, one, a a very skillful way to have a continuum of interventions, ranging from the energetic kind of modalities like homeopathy. I might include acupuncture there, hands-on mm-hmm. healing, and so on, mm-hmm. that do evoke change 
through resonance and through um, energetics. And then from the more conventional side, there's more of an effort to um, see symptoms as something that's out of control and to try to stop them with some kind of medication that would oppose things on some level. Now, that's only an aspect of conventional medicine. There's also uh, other aspects. But those medicines are designed to antibiotic, for instance, or antihypertensive or anti-anxiety agent or anti-convulsive agent. It's an anti-situation. Now, that's a powerful intervention also in the sense that it would, much like um, any kind of force that you would bring against what you think is out of control, I believe that there's a place for that. There's a place for that in terms of when things are too painful or too fearful or too out of control, Mm -hmm. too dangerous, we would call it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, if I have chest pain radiating down my left arm, uh, I might not go to the homeopath at that moment. (laughs) I might go to the ER. Good choice. It's very important (laughs) to maintain, in my view, an association. I am trained in conventional medicine, but it's very important to remain, I think, to have an association with a conventional physician for the purposes of of, uh, screening tests and... Uh, when things are too much out of control, to be able to access that uh, is part of the spectrum of what we have available. And I think on the Mid-Coast, we're blessed with having a lot available to us in terms of the spectrum of how to intervene with something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so in terms of your training, how did you uh, make that transition from a, you were in family practice for, uh, what, over 10 years and decided to become the, uh, you know, yep. really focus on homeopathy. What yep. was that journey for? Well, the combination of, of an inner journey for myself that uh, I, t- I took upon myself after working in the emergency room in Williston for a year. I went overseas to, to India, Nepal, and Japan and did an exploration inwardly for myself of where my own <laughs> uh, suffering, you might say, comes from or sure. symptoms comes from. And to take long looks at that in, in uh, various kinds of meditative atmospheres was very helpful to make a shift and okay, I see how this works in me. It's, it starts at a very subtle level. I want to find a, a healing route that works on this level uh, in myself. That um, and homeopathy kept coming across my path, uh-huh. uh, and I started to look into it. And like for most people, at first, it almost seems counterintuitive. Like you were suggesting earlier, less means more kind of thing is kind of counterintuitive. And yet, as the more I looked at it, the more somehow intuitive sense it made. And it took coming back to a practice in Massachusetts who had a homeopath on, on the, uh, on, in that group. And I would send her clients, and I was amazed at the results. And then I, I did my own mentorship with Catherine Coulter, as you mentioned in the intro, um, to discover for myself how I could, how I could use it. The other, the other kind of uh, parallel path there was just observing as a primary care physician what what I was doing over time with people and seeing, you know, sometimes they give the medications and the symptoms would go away, but the person didn't change. Mm-hmm. In fact, in some ways it could be, um, you know, more chronic producing or side effects and so on. So although I, I accepted the value, I, I, you know, in, in intensive care units and so on of that approach, I knew for me um, at that point I was drawn to this approach, to another kind of approach. But it doesn't disregard that other, I want to make that clear, it doesn't disregard that other approach. It's just another point on the spectrum 
mm -hmm. as far as I'm concerned. So this could this is a, a way to it, let's say it, someone is working with a chronic issue that they do need to go uh, and work with a conventional yep. uh, mm -hmm. paradigm. They can also be doing this as a way to perhaps work on on that other subtle more energetic level to perhaps make things work better. Yes, and, and it's interesting. Some people will say, well, how do you know what's working then if I'm taking a medication to stop something? Right. My chronic cough. I'm taking a cough suppressant, and uh, how can you tell whether this remedy is working then if, that, if I'm already kind of suppressing it or opposing it? Yes. And so what you do with homeopathy and like modalities because you're looking at the whole person, not just one single symptom, you'll see a shift in the total picture of the person, not just that particular symptom that they're coming to you for, but the whole person. Now, once you see that happening, then you can decide at some point of confidence that there's been a good response to think about tapering mm -hmm. those medications that, would be, that were being used. And that has to be very skillfully done and you know, done with a lot of judgment and typically with mm -hmm. the primary care physician on board, you know, to, sure. to kind of monitor things and make sure that it's a smooth transition. And that's up to the person's decision when they feel ready to do that. You know, some people are afraid to let go of the medications because of sure. what they'd experienced before. Mm -hmm. But they can work well together, is, I think is what you're implying. And mm -hmm. they can, they, one is kind of keeping control of something. It's like a cast you put on your leg when you break a leg. And you know, that's controlling the movement and while you elicit the healing from within. And at a certain time, you take the cast off. It's not useful anymore. Right. And, and then you also have to do a little therapy to get that limb or yes. whatever working again because right. it hasn't been exercised in a while. Yeah. And it's the same kind of thing. This is a, sort of like the exercising of the, uh, right. of the uh, inner landscape, would you say? <laughs> yeah. And of course, it raises the point, too, of how things can work together. So you know, you, you, you can work with a psychotherapist as things come up. You can work with an acupuncturist for releasing blocks. You can work with uh, various kinds of body work and exercise programs and diet and nutrition. And that's why it's, I believe it's kind of a, it's a holistic approach because you're, you're looking at all the levels, the physical level, the mental, the emotional, and the spiritual level to invigorate someone and let them let go of what's not useful for them anymore. We are listening, uh, you're listening to Healthy Options at uh, Community Radio, WERU 89.9. And my guest, I'm Rhonda Feynman, and my guest today is Dirk Vandersloot, who uh, is um, a medical doctor. He's been utilizing homeopathy since 1983. He's been uh, doing this as part of a family medical practice, and now in the Mid-Coast is um, doing that uh, primary uh, homeopathy consulting practice at uh, the Center for Health and Healing in Rockland, and um, we're uh, continuing our conversation. You know, I want to talk about resonance again. I, I, I like that from uh, mm. way back when, earlier in the show. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, you know, as you're listening to someone coming in and presenting, you've just met them perhaps, or you know them, yeah. um, I would think a number of things come up. And would you then be working with trying to find one remedy for them, or would you be ever combining remedies? How does that work in a mm -hmm. in a in 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 this 
in homeopathy, the world of homeopathy? Well, I, I was trained in the, what's called a classical approach to homeopathy and, and taught by Samuel Hahnemann or kind of discovered by Samuel Hahnemann. It was a German, East German in the late 17, early 1800s. And that approach did advocate or does advocate one single remedy at a time, which isn't to say that's the only remedy that that person would ever have. That would be great if that were the case. That might, you know, yes, you're that, done. There it is. <laughs> that's the ideal, you know, one dose, one time of the right fit, and everything changes forever. A lot of the time it's like tacking with a boat where you, you get as much as you can out of what your choice, and ideally it's the you know, one remedy that you've chosen, and that you can then monitor the unwinding. Uh, that's called the case taking is then followed up by followed up follow-up visits to see how things are going. And you might decide at a certain point that we're going as far as we can with this. A new set of symptoms have come up, or only a certain percentage of the symptoms that a person came with have resolved. Mm -hmm. And it may mean that you then tack, so to speak, with another remedy that meets the new totality mm -hmm. of that person. And that's kind of un unwinding the skin of an onion mm -hmm. in that sense. And some people are one remedy that needs to be repeated all for a long period of time. Other people need different remedies that may have some association with them. Uh, you know, there, there are some remedies that complement each other. And you look for that as a prescriber to follow up one remedy with another, that they complement each other. Uh, some remedies actually oppose each other. So mm -hmm. you, you have to be kind of cognizant of that, aware of that, and, and you know, make choices that in your best effort and your best understanding are helping that person move forward. But the combination remedies that are available in health food stores and so on can be helpful uh, if one of them fits the situation, like for headaches or sinus or colds and so on. There may be a remedy in that complex of 10 or 15 remedies in those combinations that, in fact, is the right one, and that person will do just fine. Sometimes, however, that remedy that's needed is not in that combination, right. and a person can get discouraged about homeopathy if that's how they use it because they might not, it might not be there. And so they say, well, this doesn't work. And, of course, it's just that the right remedy has not been chosen for them at that point. It's also difficult with the combination remedies to know what to do next because you don't know which, which remedy was it. <laughs> 15 in there was it. So that's why the single, get back to your, your question yes. about the single remedy and the classical approach uh, makes sense to me. But for the average person who doesn't necessarily, you know, want to go to a practitioner and so on, and maybe this homeopathy will help my sinus condition, you know, it works for that. Right. Yeah. That was a question I had. What, you know, would, would there ever be a time where that would be appropriate? And <coughs> it sounds like there, there could be. Yeah, know. there could be. There could you be. Know? It's kind of an introduction. It's, it's a way to work with it. <coughs> Excuse me. But typically, it doesn't go very deep. Right. It's, it's, you're not, you're, it's more of a symptomatic. Yeah. You know, you're traveling and, and something comes up, you're yeah. not going to have a chance to run yeah. home to, uh, to have right. a big consult, but you'll want something right. quick. Well, just for just the idea that you'll have, you'll see on the bottle that this is, these are remedies for headaches. That's not really how homeopathy works. That's what I was going to say, that they're, they're, it's not a symptom-based uh, right. materia medica. Get right. this for, right. uh, yeah. Right. Well, I, I had an experience that my brother, uh, who was a dermatologist in Newport Beach, California, had a patient go over to France who had a lot of warts, and the patient ended up going to a homeopathic pharmacy in Paris, sure. where there are a lot of them there. 
And the pharmacist gave her Thuya, which is, comes from the cedar tree. It's a very common remedy for warts, and all of her warts dissolved in the space of two or three weeks. And she goes back to my brother and shows him. He then calls me up, and he wants me to send him a box of Thuya. <laughs> for all of his people with yeah, warts. Yeah, for all of his people with warts. <laughs> <laughs> and I just had to explain, as, as we're doing right now, to say, you know, that worked for that person. Right. It fit. Right. It may not be for the next person who walks in with warts. And it was also someone who had actually he was seen by somebody. You know, somebody watched them walk in. Whether, yes. Yes, and, yes. Right. Uh-huh. So, um... So it is used in Europe a lot more. And, and, and my understanding, too, is that um, when medical schools were starting here in the United States, that most people were homeopaths or were working with this, and then there was that whole political um, power I'm not sure that there were most. <laughs> or many were. That's, I there were know, homeopathic hospitals. There were homeopathic yeah. hospitals, right. There were homeopathic medical schools. Right. And there were homeopathic hospitals. Right. Uh, they they were they kind of proliferated during the um, latter part of the 19th century. You know, in the late 1800s, there was a proliferation. In the early 1900s, uh, there was a huge interest in homeopathy. There was a James Tyler Kent in Chicago who was an MD homeopath who had a a huge practice. He and his his residents saw close to 18, 20,000 people a year. It was My that, goodness. It was that popular. But in 1907, I think it is, there right. was a governmental report called the Flexner Report, <clears throat> which um, decided that they could not support any more homeopathic hospitals or training. So things had to kind of receded at that point as far as the use of homeopathy went. It just kind of resurfaced uh, since the 60s. Mm-hmm. 50s and 60s, and it's kind of growing and growing, as all other holistic modalities seem to be kind of uh, opening up now, and people are much more interested in at least complementing their traditional care with something more holistic like mm. homeopathy. But again, in Europe, this is, has not been the case. People have been using it. Oh, yes. And, and consistently, <clears throat> if, you, if you're in oh, Germany yeah. or France, oh, yeah. you will, as you said, have, go, right. you'll be able to walk into a homeopathic pharmacy right. and, and be helped there. Well, it has quite a history in, in, in Europe uh, around the epidemics, uh, cholera epidemics in Asia and the strep uh, infection epidemics in, in Europe. And in Hahnemann's time, uh, they were very successful in, in many villages uh, where there were death, very high death rates with homeopaths. So it gained a lot of notoriety there. Mm -hmm. It had a history there in, in, in impacting deeply large parts of the population. So it has more of a history there um, than here, in that sense. So um, so now your brother's ready to uh, go and study and become <laughs> a homeopath? <laughs> well, a lot of, a lot of doctors, uh, it's interesting how homeopathy even came to this country. As far as I understand it, uh, Constantine Herring, who was a physician from Philadelphia, was sent to Germany to discredit homeopathy. Oh, my. Uh, and got converted, and that and that, got converted, that, right? And brought it back, and that that a lot of MDs, in particular DOs, MDs, I assume, also have uh, had experiences themselves, or with themselves or loved ones, that has invited a change in how they look at things. Oftentimes, it does take a direct experience, as we all know, right, to really uh, 
look into something seriously that previously you had thought, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> that really. makes no sense. But yeah. then, of course, you know, uh, very often people use homeopathy with their pets, and, and yes. pets don't have a, a yes. preconceived notion yeah, of, right. Uh, right. of what it is, and there you are. And same thing with uh, unconscious people, uh, babies, infants. That's right. Uh, they, you, 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 you would expect to see if you choose the right remedy. It doesn't require consciousness right. or a belief um, to, to see effects from a remedy. So as you say, certainly with animals, right. there have been marvelous successes, and I even have my own experience with it, which has been very gratifying. If animals are, don't have a lot in the way. You that, know. That's it. <laughs> and, you know, it's the same thing with acupuncture. I've mm-hmm. seen... Um, you know, dogs who were having cervical issues and had some acupuncture and they could lift their heads and all of a sudden were happy yeah. again. Yeah, it's amazing. You know? So on that energetic level, we are, uh, we're all pretty uh, in tuned. We're, we're, we're all one, as it were, between the... Right. Well, that's, that's, that's what's coming up with this paradigm is that we're all connected. We all, you know, have the energy, but we're differentiated in form, and so we have to respect the individualism and respect the individual nature of symptoms. And I think that's one of the values of homeopathy and like modalities, that people are individualized. I I always like to talk about that a little, as opposed to generalized. Uh, It's very important, I think, if, if it can be done to individualize a person, even though we're all connected. It sounds paradoxical. But we all are connected, and at the same time, we have individual characteristics. And so that's, that's how they, they uh, in homeopathy, for instance, if, an ear, if a child with an ear infection comes in, I'll use a remedy, and the next child who comes in with an ear infection may get a totally different remedy, mm-hmm. even though they both are ear infections. Right. So, and yet, in, in conventional practice, you might give both of them amoxicillin or something, and in this form, it may, they might be very different remedies because they're different people. The individual, yes. once again. Um, just want to say once again that we are speaking with Dirk Vandersloot, who is um, a medical doctor and a, a practitioner uh, of homeopathy and uh, a teacher of meditation and re- Reiki and uh, works in um, at the uh, Center for Health and Healing in Rockland. Um, Dirk, how can people get a hold of you? Is there a... a yeah, my office number is, is 596-0991. 596-0991, and that's 207. We do, you know, yes. we this is uh, streaming uh, all, all over the world. <laughs> so, you know, when someone wants to call you from India, okay. they need to know the area code. <laughs> Okay, very good. <laughs> That's it, really. And we, you know, my, I have a receptionist, Arlene, and she'll feel, you know, when we're here, we have an answer machine, when not. We sure. send out information um, if, uh, if sure. need be. Um, don't have a website yet, looking, looking at the possibility of creating one, but don't uh, have we, that. Yes, it's, yes, all of us for after 15, 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Haven't made that leap yet. That's it. <laughs> that's coming. <laughs> Well, there, there are some aspects of homeopathy that we haven't touched on. There is, when, when someone goes, you'll tell them that there are certain substances that will neutralize or um, antidote a remedy, such as peppermint and coffee. How, how does that work? Let's talk about, yeah. about some of those uh, mm-hmm. aspects of, uh, of, of what nature is working with us and, and, and opposing us in that way. Yeah, antidoting is a common uh, question and an issue to, to deal with. It, it, the way I understand it is that if the absolute correct remedy is chosen, 
which is to say the similimum, it's called, the similimum with a capital S, there won't be any antidoting, uh-huh. no matter what, because it's exactly the right fit. And it's like being told something that you know is true, yes. and you're not going to believe anything else because you know that coiled object in the road is a rope and not a snake, and no one's going to convince you otherwise when you know it. <laughs> so you won't, it won't get obstructed. Now, if the remedy, however, is not quite the right fit perfectly, but a lot is, is fitting, it can still be very valuable in terms of helping a person move. And at the same time, there are possibilities that it can be antidoted by strong aromatic compounds like coffee, camphor, menthol, very strong perfumes and colognes that energetically are very powerful. These mm-hmm. you know, aromas are very powerful, and we use them <laughs> for that purpose. And they can be obstructing of homeopathic remedies. Mint is also one, but not so much typically as camphor, menthol, and coffee. And of those three, probably the most common, more powerful antidoting comes through camphor, believe it or not. Yes. Um, and so you want to keep your remedies away from the medicine chest that might have camphor or menthol. No we tiger do ask, bomb in there. Yeah, we do ask people to try and do what they can if they're kind of addicted to those things or using them frequently to either slow them down or or stop them altogether to give the remedy the best possible chance to work. Because if someone comes back in and says, you know, the remedy didn't help me, nothing happened, I'm not sure whether it's been ant- being antidoted by something or whether it's the wrong choice. Mm-hmm. And I, that, that's, so I do it, you know, have, help people to try and shift from those things if they can. If they can't, uh, there are ways to give the remedy that minimize antidoting. Those are the liquid form of the remedies. They're called LM potencies. LM stands for 1 in 50,000. But you can deliver a remedy by pellet form, which is typically how I do it, but you can also deliver it through liquid form, uh, a small vial mixed in with, uh, say, 8 ounces of distilled water, and that can be used uh, every day in, in, in succeeding potencies. Would you it. just do a few drops of it, or would you recommend that people make it stronger by shaking it? Yes. I know that that's part of what, yes. what happens. Thank Maybe you, you can yes. explain that a little bit. Well, agitating a solution changes the energy in it a little. It's similar metaphorically to studying for an exam. The more you study and study and study, and then you get it. Or you ride your bike and you fall off and you fall off and you fall off, and then you're on. You, there's a, there's a, a period of time of what we call succussion or repetition, which mm-hmm. matures something, and then it dilutes, then it gets aha. So those two factors... Succussion, we call it, or agitation, and dilutions are both important in creating the energetic effects of the remedy. And you can alter those to adjust to what's needed in a person. If a person aggravates their symptoms on a certain level of agitation of the remedy, then you can lower that in your succeeding Uh dosages that you give. So if you're shaking a bottle ten times and a rash develops... (laughs) Uh, as it, something works itself out, and then the other symptoms come back, you want to start the remedy again, but now you use five shakes instead of ten. Uh-huh. So you can adjust that a little bit. It's like adjusting the dose of a medicine. And what about um, uh, topicals, uh-huh. uh, you know, creams? Um, mm-hmm. Do you feel that that, how does that enter the system? Is that a different approach, or when would you use that versus mm-hmm. something else? 
Well, it's it's an interesting phrase. Enter the system. Um, <laughs> Maybe the, yes. You know, we're talking. Call me about on language. I love it. Resonance. <laughs> you know, it's not like homeopathy is ingested, digested, absorbed into the system, uh-huh. and then metabolized like you would swallowing an aspirin pill uh-huh. or something that has to get metabolized and passed through the liver and kidneys and broken down and has a half life and all of that. Remedies are not like that. They're they're resonance. And if, the, yes, if, if you topically put on, let's say, arnica, which is a common topical for a bruise, mm-hmm. you, they're, they're, if that topical resonates with that specific area of bruising, it can very much help the healing of that. But very typically, it won't be a big constitutional effect. No. no. It, it's, a, it's a very local effect, right. uh, whether it's hypericum for, for uh, burns or scrapes or whether, rather scrapes and... Um, calendula ointments for cuts or arnica for bruises or you know those are topicals that can be very helpful for local symptoms you know as we talked about the resonance I, that, that, that keeps coming up again as well um, I, I remember once taking we talked about this a, a while ago talk, taking a remedy and almost feeling like a total enlightenment you know mm-hmm. and then it just for a flash second, and then other things happen. But mm-hmm. this idea—it's almost—it's almost—it's—it's almost, it's almost like you have to do world healing. You know what I mean? <laughs> I feel like we're doing the, like a cultural, a cultural remedy. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? Do you yep. do you feel uh, you know some yeah. sort of of uh, of larger scale? Not, mm. It's not even the as we as we're mm. all connected. We're right. uh, I'm getting a little cosmic here, but <laughs> bear with me. No, good, good that you just diluted uh, I, diluted us. Good, but <laughs> we're all a having a remedy level. here. <laughs> no, I think that's a very good point because, you, as you say, we're all connected. So there's a saying in healing work that I like, which is, "We you never heal alone." When I heal, it helps everyone. When someone else heals, it helps me. So because we're connected, when a person releases what's in the way of their natural state, and you can certainly get a glimmer of what it's like to be fully awakened, although, as you say, most often it doesn't last. It seems like it, the, the illusory kind of delusional aspects kind of come back again to be dealt with again, but there can be glimpses, and it typically is, a, is an experience of, of unity with, with all, not just all other humans, but the whole earth, the whole plant world and mineral world, that you just get a sense of the, the sacredness of the totality of everything. Yes. But most of us are very self-enclosed and have our own story. Uh, that's, that's our individualism. And, and that, of course, is what we're after in terms of healing work. But you're right. When one person does that, or any group of people, or even gets a glimmer of it, yes. it really helps all of us. I mean, I believe that the yogis and the caves and the Himalayas, if they're doing really good work, are helping all of us, even though they're not out there on the, you know, uh, on the front lines. Yes. So, so we can, <laughs> I'm going to do, I can't, I, I can't resist. We're going to be dilusional instead of delusional. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> we look for the, the diluted rather than the deluded. That's right. Yeah. The it deluded is what, what, what needs healing, that's for sure. Well, uh, once again, um, my guest today on Healthy Options is Dirk Vandersloot, who's a medical doctor who is um, doing um, ho- uh, homeopathic consulting in uh, Rockland, Maine, at the uh, Center for Health and Healing, and he can uh, 
be reached at 596-0991, of course, area code 207. Um, and um, this is WERU 89.9 FM. And uh, we are, as I said, continuing our, our conversation. So um, when someone comes in to see you, are you, uh, do we, do you, have a course of meditation that you teach people, or do you recommend uh, a course of Reiki? How do you in incorporate all of the things that we talked about that you do in your practice? And you said there were other mm -hmm. things too. So we yeah, I mean, I would, I, you know, when 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 you finish kind of case taking, or you you kind of get a sense of where a person is at, what they might be open to, and there can be for suitable people a suggestion to consider. Uh, different forms of meditation, which, uh, and there are different forms of meditation. For some people, they're more active forms or more passive forms of meditation. I might offer the general concept and then refine it down to what seems to suit that person the best. Uh, sometimes it would be myself who would help that person uh, get started, or it might be suggesting uh, books from various other meditation teachers or styles that, that I think would benefit that patient more than what I would, would teach, for instance. And then periodically in the past, I haven't done so, so much recently, but have offered meditation classes, courses, and I would, would, would hope to do that again so that you know, there, it, it does help to be, to be in a group in a way, to, mm -hmm. to have other people working with you. And so, uh, but I, the truth is, I think everybody could benefit from it. Uh, not everybody's open to it or ready for it. But I do believe everybody could benefit from some part, some aspect of self-reflection, mindfulness, uh, opening to the inner landscape, as you called it earlier. But even just paying attention to food, uh, paying attention to exercise, and how you walk, and how what you eat, and how you eat, I, I do recommend that kind of work. As far as the Reiki and other energetic uh, body works and things like acupuncture, there is a place and time for all of that. And I, if I. If I could, if everything were, were paid for, I'd probably <laughs> recommend a lot of those things going on for people. Yeah. But I'll have to say this. It can be confusing to do too many things at once, mm -hmm. both time-consuming and rather expensive, and confusing just from, oh, wait a minute, uh, somebody said I'm, this is the problem, and then you're saying this is this, and right. it becomes confusing to people sometimes. Mm -hmm. So simplicity with this can also be very, very helpful. So again, everybody's an individual, and you try to work out what's best for them according to who they are and what they need. That is all we can do. Yeah. Um, and who would you say you're, uh, you're, you enjoy working with, your mentors, who inspires you now in, in your work? Is, you've been doing this for a while. How do you keep that, that spark? Mm. Well, there's a homeopath named Lou Klein from Canada, uh, Vancouver uh, area, who has been very inspirational for me, homeopathically, and whenever he comes to the area, I'm there <laughs> for a three or four or five day program, typically down in Portland. And you know, for me right now, especially from a materia medica, which is the term used for the compilation of remedies and the description of what they would treat, Jeremy Sure has been a very deep influence on me philosophically with homeopathy uh, from England, uh, originally from Israel and now from living in England, has been very, very helpful. And an Indian man named Rajan Shankaran, uh, who has been instrumental with the books he has written. I've also been over to India to some of his conferences and feel deeply moved by how he works with remedies. 
uh, meditatively, I'm very much in tune with the work of Eckhart Tolle. I definitely appreciate uh, Pema Chodron and other Thich Nhat Hanh, other teachers of, of many different traditions uh, inform me on that level. It's very inspiring. Mm. Well, you know, I think it's so important as practitioners, too, to, to keep those, that, that, that juice flowing, as mm. it were, to keep that mm. line. It's not mm. as if yes. we, we're at the end of our own learning. We're continuing, yeah. continuing and we, the learning. And we need each other. I mean, I, I would say that is that uh, as a practitioner and as a person on the journey with everybody else, um, that it very much helps to have community. It helps to have this kind of dialogue and and, and meeting of the minds and an attempt at, at dealing with, with, uh, with, with our, own, our own journeys. It's just helpful to have, to have it out there and have people together. I, I agree. And, um, you know, it's part of that uh, dilusional versus delusional <laughs> aspect as we, as we all heal each other. I know. I, mm. I love that. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm reminded of a story of one of my colleagues who um, her most successful client was one who came maybe two times. And uh, she came for weight loss. And mm. this was in, in an acupuncture setting. Mm-hmm. And, but while it, during the intake, she, we dis- she discovered that there were some marital issues, there were some job issues, there were some directional issues, what she wanted to do in her life. So after the first session, uh, the woman comes back and says something like, uh, well, you know, I, f- I had the treatment and I, I realized that um, I need a different job. So I put in my resignation and I found this other work. Uh-huh. And then the second time... You know, and I've really laid it on the line with my partner, and now we're uh, we're in therapy. We're you know mm-hmm. things are getting better, and, and, and this just went on. Um, mm. And then the third, I actually she came three times. Something else amazing happened, mm. and then the phone call came. Well, you know, I really came to w- lose weight, and I really haven't <laughs> lost any weight, so this isn't working at all. <laughs> so I'm really not going to come back again. <laughs> oh yes, that's a very good point. Very <laughs> so. good point because. You know, people have identified typically what they want to come in and have healed, and, and, and that's why they're there. And yet there's a, there's a whole story there, a whole picture. And, of course, you like to see the whole thing change. That's right. Uh, and, but some things take more time. I mean, that weight issue for her may, may be something that uh, the work you've done with her, that she would see that and maybe, maybe just appreciate that. I, that's happened to me occasionally where a person will call a year or so even after a visit and say, and, and, and say something to that effect. Thank you, because what I, I didn't originally think it was working, but I can see over but I time know it is now. how it. And I just wanted to call and let you know that I have had that experience. That's that's great. I'm gonna have to. We're gonna have. We've run out of time. We could go on forever. Um, yeah. <laughs> this, I, I, Dirk, thank you so much. My guest has been Dirk Vandersloot. He's a medical doctor. He's been utilizing homeopathy since 1983. He's been part of a family medical practice, and now he's a full-time homeopathic consultant. His studies uh, have been with the National Center of Homeopathy. He's worked with Catherine Coulter. He uh, has worked in uh, postgraduate school in England with Jeremy Shearer. He's a Harvard University graduate and a UCLA Medical School graduate, and he works, and we are lucky to have him here in Midcoast, Maine, at the Center for Health and Healing in Rockland, Maine, and you can reach him at whatever your number is. What is your number? 596-0991. I'm Rhonda Feynman. You've been listening to Healthy Options. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I want to thank Amy Brown for engineering, and uh, Keep tuning into Community Radio, WERU-FM 89.9. Thank you.